Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Um, Philippe, I'd like to first ask you about adapting this because it was a one-person play and obviously a lot of work has gone into the adaptation of, of that one-person play to get to the film that we've seen. Tell me a little bit about that process, if you could walk us through that. Um, <clears throat> a lot of, uh, most people think that it was tougher adapting uh, a one-person play to a film, uh, but for me it was actually more enjoyable because it gave me some uh, maneuvering space as a scriptwriter to add my own thoughts and ideas uh, to the story. Um, it's, it's very difficult to have a compelling and strong and complex character in, in a movie and there I was uh, watching that play uh, five years ago and I knew that that character uh, was, was, uh, was, was a, a very strong material to work with and as a member of the, of the audience that night when I saw the play I had to imagine all the other characters because this man was talking to people that we didn't see or hear and I guess uh, every member of the audience were, were doing that that night so in a way I was probably scripting the first draft of my, of my film and I was uh, watching the play with my producer who's also my friend and at the end of the play I turned to him completely, you know, I was smiling and I told him, we're doing this. And he said, great, we're doing what? And I said, we're turning this into a film. And he said, well, I'm skeptical about that one. And, uh, but I, I already I knew what kind of environment, what kind of tone, what kind of film I wanted to make with that character. So basically, uh, the process was, was very much uh, trying to find an idea that would sustain the dramatic tension, dramatic tension throughout the film. And it came with the idea of the young uh, boy character, uh, Simon, who was not in the play. Uh, and, and, uh, the one taking photos. I, yes. Tell me about the casting, because I know that the lead actor is actually a comic. Um, was that an advantage? having someone who'd worked in comedy to then come to this humanist, very dramatic role? I knew I wanted an Algerian to play the role, although sometimes you want to take the best actor, so he might be from somewhere else in, in Northern Africa or, or Middle East, but I felt it was important that he'd be Algerian, and there's not too many Algerian actors in Montreal, so I knew I would have to look towards France, and um, a person uh, recommended that I would check out this guy, so I go on YouTube <clears throat> and I find out that he's a, he's a stand-up comedian in France. So what he does is very, very different from what you saw in the film. He writes monologues and his characters are very candid and burlesque. So uh, I thought, mm, that's not what I want from the film, but I like this face. And I imagine this man in the classroom and from the point of view of the children, the children would immediately be compelled to listen to him and to trust him. And uh, also this man in his real life had to flee Algeria during the civil war in the 1990s. So I knew he had personal insight into the character. What did he say when you approached him for the character? Was he Well, he won knew over about instantly? the play. He knew about the play because he had done a public reading of that play a few years back. So he was really interested in, in, in seeing what, I've, what I had done uh, in terms of, of film. 
And so, no, he felt that it was, it was his story to tell in a way. Um, so I'm, I'm really grateful for the work he did because I think he used a lot of restraint in his work. I don't like actors who are overacting. And in this case, I, I needed someone who would use restraint and I think he did a good job. Tell me a little bit about casting the children because they're wonderful in it and indeed directing the children. I mean, I think everyone will agree that performances of the children are just unbelievably good. How did you manage that? There's a saying in cinema that you have to avoid uh, animals and, and children while shooting. And I think that's really, really unfair to animals. Um, no, in reality, uh, people think they, that it's tougher to work with children. It's just a different path and it's probably just a little more work but they give back so much. And I think it, there's three important stages. The first one is when you're auditioning children. Uh, I don't believe in auditioning 800 children like for five minutes to try to find the pearl. I, I believe in meeting the children during the audition process, so I take my time. I'm, with their, I'm there, I, I don't let that job just to the casting director. I wanna be there for every child and, um, and how, how many did you go through I, I went only through 150 which is not a lot sometimes no. when it, you hear about you know 2,000 people that audition for a role and especially with children because they're not necessarily professional actors <clears throat> and um, so when you're auditioning children you are also auditioning the parents because sometimes the child is there for the wrong, wrong reason they're there because the parents want them to become a movie star and so you have to take that into account also. I think uh, it has to come from a very sane and balanced family environment, especially in a film like that where you deal with serious issues. And then when I rehearse uh, with the kids that I selected, I work with a coach. Uh, she's my friend, she's an actress herself, and then she knows where I want to go in terms of tone, so when I'm off on other tasks, she can continue rehearsing with the kids. And finally, on the set, I tried to set up a playful atmosphere that, that feels like summer camp for the children. You shot it in summer, in fact, which is I interesting. Shot it in except summer. for four days, I think, where you shot it in, in winter. exteriors in winter. Yeah, because we didn't want the children to, to miss uh, school, and we needed a, 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 an empty school. So we shot in the summer, in the interior scenes, even though in the story it starts in the winter. And, and it was bad for the children because it was 35 degrees outside, like the first big opening scene when he discovers the body, it was 35 degrees outside and you have all these children coming in with winter coats. Uh, so it was a tough day of work for them that tell day. Me, that day is interesting. You've told me already, but tell us about that wonderful shot where they discover the teacher's, where the boy discovers the teacher's body. It's all one shot. Yeah. Tell me, when did you shoot that and how many takes did you need to get to that point? Well, for, first of all, it's, it's showing at the hanging is not something that I was particularly looking forward to. Uh, during uh, the script writing, I think my first five or six drafts did not include the hanging because I didn't want the, the film to be about suicide. And I realized uh, that uh, if I, we wanted the audience to feel something at the end of the movie, especially in the cathartic scene at the end, we needed to discover the body with the child at the beginning of the movie. So then I thought, okay, we're gonna see the body, but how do we do that? 
And it was important for me not to do it in a very morbid or dramatic way, but to, 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 uh, to, to discover the body through the point of view of the child. So we're always with him, we're behind him, we're looking over his shoulder, and we're discovering the body the same time that he is, and we're seeing the body only a, a, a second and a half. And I mean, not more than a second and a half. But it's quite startling, that glimpse. Yeah, because it surprises us. And then we stay in the corridor. It's a long shot. It means there's no cut. It, it, it's a two minutes and a half without any cut. It was this, the first shot of the, the whole shoot. It's the first scene we did with the whole... So it, it took a lot of rehearsal, and we'd made uh, 18 takes, and what you see in the film is the 18 takes. Um, and and uh, it was, I think it was a good way to start the movie because it, 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 it plunged us as a crew and the children into the action. Now, of course, I didn't submit the, the children to the shock of, of discovering that body hanging. They met with the stunt woman before. Ah, so they, they knew saw what they were the going rig. to see. Ah, of course, okay. I don't sure. believe in surprising the actor, especially not children. So they met the, 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 the stunt woman. We, 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 we showed them the rig, how she was going to hang. And, and, and uh, it was very difficult for the stunt woman to be hanging there for two minutes and a half without moving because she has to be very, very, very still. Uh, and, and so it was a very uh, f fun thing to, to, to work on, but at, at the same time, uh, very important uh, scene because if we miss that scene, the, the, the rest of the movie is not going to be the same. I think the wonderful thing about your film is you mentioned the word restraint earlier in terms of performance, but even in terms of mise-en-scene, I think that your movement of the camera and, all, and your placement of the camera is always at the right... The camera always seems to be at the right place at the right time, but it's never a showy sort of camera, and none of the performances are showy. It, and I think that what would have perhaps pushed this film into... A, uh, what, what would have really undermined this film would have been if it had been a little bigger in performance or in big moments on screen. It's restraint is its most important element in some ways. Were you conscious approaching this that oh, yes. you need to be, needed to be restrained on all levels? Yes, because, um, because it's my fourth feature, I didn't feel that I, would, I needed to impress anyone with the camera work. And sometimes you get these films with all kinds of sophisticated traveling or crane shot and the camera is moving and I think this is actually easy to do. What's hard to do is finding the proper camera placement for, the particular, for, for that particular scene or for the story you're, that you're trying to tell. And with that story, I felt I had to be very sober with the camera work, but at the same time find a way to shoot this to make the audience feel that we're part of what's happening, to make us feel that we're in the class, that we're there with the children. One of the decisions we made at the beginning was to use the cinemascope format instead of the, uh, you know, the, the traditional rectangle. It's more uh, landscape. And I use that even though we're not filming any landscape in the film, because when I'm shooting at the height of the, of the desk, you feel that you have more children in the frame at the same time, which is not true because what's happening is that you have less uh, head room and less bottom, yes. but you feel that you, have, you are closer to more children at the same time. And I tried to use 
and held camera without moving too much, like if it's someone watching them, like if it's the audience, they're watching the children. Just to give a hint of a kind of Yes, um, it's just a movement. little, just a little movement, bit. like if someone was there with them. Even in the, there's restraint, I think, even in the, the actual storytelling. I mean, this, there could have easily have been a full-flung romance, but there isn't one. But it's just enough to get the hint I cut of the scene sort of where tension. they make love on the couch. <laughs> but tell uh, me about that. Did you, you know, what, that decision to sort of be restrained there too. To be subtle is perhaps a better word because restrained seems to suggest that you, you've avoided going all out. But really it's more about subtlety. Every decision has to be made in terms of what's logical and coherent for the character. He's going in there, he thinks he's having dinner with many teachers, not just her. So he's like kind of lured into this romantic dinner. And I place myself in his shoes. He's still grieving. Uh, he's, 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 he's in a society that is not his own yet. I don't think he can engage in to romance at, his, at this point in time of his life. So for me, I just thought, this man is just not ready, even though maybe in another time and place they would engage in romance. It's a wonderful ambiguity though, isn't it? Because we're not really sure what she wants from it either. And at a certain point, I love the line where the music comes on and he says, oh, ethnic music. And she's like, oh, it's on shuffle. But it's... it's he doesn't it's, know what shuffle is. But um, she's a lonely character. I think it's dealing also with... This film deals with, deals with loneliness. The, 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 the head... The, 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 the direct... How do you say that? Director of a school. What's the name for that? The principal of the, the school. The principal of the school is a lonely character. The, the gym teacher is a lonely character. Monsieur Lazare is a lonely character. The young boy, boy is certainly lonely. The young girl is, is always very, uh, you know, by herself. So the teacher, Claire, is a lonely character. I, I think she just, she's curious and she wants company. Uh, and she, yes, I think she would engage into a romance, but it makes no sense for Monsieur Lazare to engage in a romance. There's also a wonderful scene. That the way you get into that uh, staff and pupils party is wonderful with that moment of him alone in the in the classroom, and we can all, and in the back of my mind, I'm always thinking there's a ghost somewhere. I know it's not that sort of film, but you know, so there's a poignancy that he's working late in that classroom. Well, no, there is a ghost in that scene, in that in that film, and it starts with a a top shot of the schoolyard, oh. and one can say that it's the and I'm not a religious person at all, but it, that it's the soul of Martin Lachance hang hovering over the school and and looking down of at the course. children. Yeah. Or you can make an argument that Monsieur Lazare is some kind of an angel because he appears out of thin air at the beginning. Yes. Where does he come from? He's all of a sudden in the principal office and at the end it's cut to black. We don't know what's going to happen to him. So there's that feeling. But in that particular scene, which is my favorite scene when he's dancing in the classroom, for me, that scene replaces any flashback I could have written because you have a window of the man he was back home, the way he's dancing in, on this oriental song that he's building into in his mind, yes. because there's party music coming from the gymnasium, and it gradually turns into something oriental, and you can see his moves, and, and you, s you can see that probably he danced like that with his wife back home. It's a completely different physicality from anything else we totally. see in the film of him. Totally, because he's, 
Yeah, and, and it made some people, it made my producer uncomfortable. <laughs> when he saw that scene, he said, I don't want to see Monsieur Lazare swing his hips like that. And said, what yeah, that but... Is that ageist or why, why were they... Yeah, but it doesn't... For me, it was... Yeah, that was the man he was, but he cannot be that man anymore. In, 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 but he's, he thinks he's alone, so he's going into... But you have Claire watching him at that time, so I think that's where Claire kind of falls for him because he's, he sees, she sees her... But it's, it's wonderful that this, well, you've got uh, multiple layers in this character and that's a, a layer that is hidden but you see it and you've revealed that which I think is wonderful. I mean characters like him are often very stereotyped yeah. when they're sort of asylum seekers and they're in movies that are trying to um, portray them in a nice light. You, we, we often find them that they're presented in a patronising way and that they're presented in a kind of two-dimensional way somehow. You'll often find in, in, in films that the scriptwriter will try to tag on a character very soon in the movie, in the fi first five, ten minutes, all kinds of uh, traits, all kinds of, you know, character traits to make him interesting. And they slap him. He has like, like he's doing this all the time, or he has a tick, or he's, he's, he has a way of talking, or he, he does some funny thing, or he pours a lot of sugar in his coffee, just to trying to make him singular. But I think it's more interesting to gradually reveal some of the stuff and they have to be pertinent to what's happening in his life and, and, and not just inventing to make the character interesting from the start. I'd like to ask you a little bit about Quebec now and the importance, you know, traditionally over the last two, or, well, no, four decades now, maybe three, Quebec has a particular kind of special identity as a as a region, and um, its cinema has been very important for that identity. Well, I, I think that with any kind of uh, linguistic uh, or cultural uh, minority, when you have the, a, a tool as powerful as cinema, it, it, it's inevitable that you will have, you know, films that deal with identity and survival and your culture. And, and, and so back in the, in the 70s, I think our cinema was was really political in a way, or it had to do with our own identity. We're seven million people in a, an ocean of over 320 million uh, English-speaking people yeah. in North America. So our art, uh, they, it always relate to who we are on this continent. And it's funny because we're French-speaking, but we're certainly not French. When I'm in France, I can certainly say that I, I feel North American. And when I'm in Montreal, I feel part European. Uh, but I think we have uh, emancipated from that uh, urge to make identity films and opened yeah. up to world reality. So I've, I've made a film with the, which the main character is Algerian. Last year, my colleague, uh, Denis Villeneuve, made a film called Incendie, uh, in which uh, with the, the story takes place in the Middle East. Uh, and so I think we're at the golden age of Quebec cinema right now where we can tackle any subject. Well, the interesting thing, of course, about this film is that it is looking at identity, but not really Quebec, Quebecois identity. It's looking at his identity, I think, in yes an interesting no. way. Yes and no, because when you have a, a, an immigrant character as a main character, you're really... Like, for instance, if I shoot a film here with a main, main character as an immigrant, but he lives in Sydney, it's a way to look at Sydney or at Australia through the eyes 
of a stranger. So what, that's what I did in a way. I looked at the school system, education system, uh, who we are in Montreal right now, but through the eyes of someone who's from, from abroad. But the interest... Uh, well, look, there are a few interesting things about his character that made me wonder about his identity. I mean, his insistence on speaking French was kind of interesting. He clearly wasn't a self-hater or anything. I mean, he was a proud, uh, you know, Algerian man. But th I found that interesting, which he, he was a very great exponent and proponent of French culture in the kind of classic sense. Yeah, which is kind of, it's a paradox because he comes from a country one. where the first language is, is definitely uh, Arab. Uh, and he was, uh, there were a colony of French, so they have difficult relations between Algeria and France. Uh, but I like the fact that this man just have, that just has a love of languages. And he probably loves also the Arabic language very much. But he is in a society where he knows that French is important. Yes. So he decides that in the school, the, the, the children should make an effort to speak French. And it is an issue back home. Uh, normally, the people, the, the, the children, they don't speak, you know, one, they want to speak another language in the schoolyard, they speak English because it's cool. And, and so the, the teachers try to have them speaking French in the schoolyard. Uh, but there you have this guy who's, who's telling this Arab kid, speak, you know, try to speak French in, in the schoolyard. I'm wondering if uh, perhaps we might like to open up the conversation to questions from the audience. Um, we do have a roving mic but um, I'm not sure if it's quite ready yet. Is that, uh, yes, we do. And we do have, oh, it's a lady with her hands. I don't know, I don't know whether this um, microphone is too loud or too soft, but just a comment, actually, even rather than a question regarding the, or the insistence on the use of correct French by Monsieur Lazare. Um, it's an interesting thing that I don't know about in Canada, but in Australia, um, many Algerian uh, refugees, or should I say asylum seekers during the 90s, actually chose to present their cases in French rather than in Arabic. Um, it, you know, it was a personal choice that, that was by no means, you know, it was what they decided to do. And the other interesting historical fact of, is, of course, um, Boudiaf, who was one of the, um, shall we say, the, post the great post-independence um, presidents of Algeria, who was assassinated himself, um, claimed French as notre butin de guerre, as our war booty. In other words, it was a question of rather than... Yeah, but it's a complex issue so it because a it's a schizophrenic exactly, thing. Exactly, but it was a very interesting... It has to do with social class also and education, where you got your education. But I think after nowadays, the, the, the young people in Algeria very much... Uh, identify with the Arabic uh, language and I think that refugee that would come here or in Canada and try to make their case in French instead of Arabic uh, it's, it's, it's kind of a political choice also make sure that they're going to be understood make sure that they're not going to be uh, the, the object of discrimination because they speak Arabic knowing very well that in this world especially in a post 9-11 environment you know, it's, it's, it's touchy, it's a touchy, uh, so it's, it's a very complex issue. Sorry, madam, if you could wait for the, did you want to say anything else? No. Do we have another? We've got a question just there, yeah. Um, yeah, thank you, Philippe. I'm both a teacher 
an ESL teacher and a refugee activist. That's English so as you. a second language, ESL. Yeah. So thank you very much for this film. It touched me very much. Um, just two very quick questions. One, I was kind of surprised. It was quite multicultural, the classroom. You know, the, there's obviously the Arabic-speaking boy, the Chilean boy, which was moving in its own right. Um, I was sort of surprised it wasn't more so, given the nature of Montreal's population. Um, so maybe if you could comment on that. The other thing is, it's my understanding the Canadian federal government um, is the Harp, Harper still, yeah, is starting to implement aspects of our old Howard government's refugee policy, such as temporary visas for refugees, uh, a more uh, system of detention and so on. If you could comment a bit about the state of the rights of refugees in Canada. Um, the first question, you're right. Normally in Montreal school, you would see more ethnic uh, background in, in the class. There would be more children from different ethnic origin than French Canadian. But I wanted to, to create a reverse contrast the, because normally it's like a French Canadian teacher with multicultural children in the class and I wanted to reverse that. Uh, so it was a, a conscient uh, choice, but it depends on which neighborhood this, the story takes place. The second question is very, very tricky. <laughs> it's politically charged. And I think we're going in the wrong, wrong direction because everything this government in Canada does is ideological and it's based on fear. And I think it, it has aligned its policy on, on the United States. Uh, and, and my argument is when world economy is doing good and if an economy is doing fairly well in a country, we do embrace immigration. When it's not, sometimes we have, we have uh, problems. And um, I think uh, it's, it's, the, the politicians right now are, are, are uh, using fear as an argument, as a, as a human, you know... Um, Dog whistle politics, Arguing this in English is difficult for me, but I, I'm certainly... Uh, I, I, I hope that Canadians will realize that that country was based on immigration, built on immigration, and that there's no way we're going to uh, prosper without immigration. And especially we've had a long tradition of, uh, of uh, welcoming refugees. And personally, I can never condemn someone who comes from southern Sudan or, or anywhere else that it's very you know, it's difficult to stay alive to try to better their life and go in a place. Because what's my merit in being born in Canada? What did, I, what did I do to deserve that? Nothing. I was just born there. So I understand that governments and states have to limit the amount of people that come in. That I understand, and they have to regulate that. But to discriminate against people who try to better their lives, I have a problem with that. And I hope that Canadians will realize that we're going in the wrong direction. We have a question down here, actually. The lady in the third row. Thank you for the film. 